Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The sound of endurance racing around the world. This is RS1, part of the Radio Show Limited Network. Hello everyone, Richard Crow here and welcome to On The Grid, a weekly in-depth look at the Australian motorsport scene here on the Radio Show Limited network of channels. On The Grid covers everything from supercars to S5000, TCR to Australian GT and a whole heap more. The weekly spread of interviews, news, views and opinion on what makes the sport tick down under. We'd love to have you involved as well. If you've got any questions about Antipodean racing, drop us a line on the socials by using at the race talk on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram, and we'll include your question in the next show. So that's it from me. Grab a beer, put a snag on the Barbie, fire up some Bathurst on the TV and crank up your V8 and enjoy an Aussie look at our great sport. And let's welcome the show's host with the most, the voice of the Melbourne cricket ground as well, is Tony Shebecki. G'day everyone and welcome to another episode of On The Grid. Big show coming your way. Andre Heimgartner from Kelly Racing to join us. A big weekend for him as he makes his way towards what hopefully will be a great Bathurst for Andre and his new driving partner in Dylan O'Keefe. We'll also hear from Dale Rogers a little bit later on. He'll review what happened at the 24-hour of Le Mans and also preview what's coming up at the F1s in Russia. Mark Walker and Richard Crail as well. But first, the news and a third consecutive Supercars Championship is within reach for Scott McLaughlin, having extended his lead atop the standings to 215 points after a mixed weekend at Taylor Bend. McLaughlin bounced back from a tough race on Saturday in which he suffered interference from Jamie Winkup at the start before finishing in 14th place after receiving his own 15 second penalty for an incident with Lee Holdsworth. He then claimed third and first in Sunday's two races. Adding to his own results, McLaughlin was buoyed by the improved performance of teammate Fabian Coulthard. Um, proud of Fab's effort, uh, you know, car 12. Been on the receiving end of a few bad runs, so uh, he he's, uh, hasn't forgotten how to drive, obviously, so he's bloody awesome. Great teammate, and for us, the car is, um, yeah, fantastic to drive. A pleasure to drive, and really proud of everyone at Shelby Power Racing who had a bounce back up yesterday. With Rockland there, thanks to Supercars Media. Fabian Coulthard held off a fast Jack LeBrock over the weekend in a thrilling finish at Talon Ben's first race on Saturday, the victory breaking his 41-race winless drought. With McLaughlin and Jamie Winkup colliding on that opening lap, Coulthard saw off a strong challenge from LeBrock and also Shane Van Gisbergen. Coulthard backed up the win with solid performances on Sunday with results of fourth and second, leaving him sixth now in the Drivers' Championship. 41's a long time ago, so uh, my 200th round start as well, so to, uh, to get a win is, is awesome. I can't thank my guys. Little Marky, you know, got my car good, so, uh, you know, we bided our time there at the end. The field for the Bathurst 1000 officially set, 10 teams to compete in the race, 24 cars in total. The most notable absentee, Gary Rogers Motorsport. Their wild card entrant, Nathan Hearn, 
wasn't able to get a motorsport super license, so he wasn't able to drive. Gary Rogers Motorsport pulling the car with no backup plans. They will not feature at all in the great race. One man who will be involved at Bathurst is Dylan O'Keefe, having secured a drive with Kelly Racing alongside Andre Heimgartner. The 22-year-old O'Keefe has spent three seasons in the Porsche Carrera Cup and one in the Dunlop Super 2 Series last weekend he had a debut in the World Touring Car Cup in Belgium. It'll be his second supercars race, having finished 18th in the 2019 Gold Coast 600. Andre Heimgartner happy to have O'Keefe as his partner. Me and I think he's a good young talent. I think he's underrated um, as far as you know a driver goes. And I raced him in Career Cup, and he was actually you know, very good. He'd give me a good run for my money sometimes, bet me obviously sometimes, and didn't make any silly mistakes, was always sort of on the road and, and using his heads. The Australian Financial Review is reporting supercars are on the verge of signing a new broadcast agreement with the Seven Network and Fox Sports. The deal expected to be worth $200 million across five years, a slight reduction on the current $241 million deal with Fox Network 10 of the same length. It's believed 10 had offered to continue paying their annual $8 million to retain their broadcast rights, but ultimately pulled out of discussions. Shane Van Gisbergen is set to make his competitive rallying debut on home soil, confirmed as a starter for the Rally New Zealand's Battle of Jacks Ridge on November 15. The course was intended to host a race of the FIA Rally Championship this year, but the event was cancelled due to COVID-19. Rallying is close to the heart of Van Gisbergen and his father Robert, having raced a Ford Escort across the country when he was growing up. Racing Point has hired Jefferson Slack as its new commercial managing director ahead of its reband as Aston Martin for 2021. Slack has a wealth of experience in sports marketing and business, having served as the marketing chief of Michael Jordan in the 1990s and later as CEO of Italian football giants Inter Milan. Fernando Alonso has visited Renault's factory in Enstone for the first time since re-signing as the team prepares for his Formula 1 return next season. It'll be the 39-year-old Alonso's third stint with the team. He first joined in 2002, winning World Championships in 2005 and 2006, and then returned in 2008 and 2009. Having had two seasons out of F1, Renault are targeting post-season testing in Abu Dhabi for his return to the car. 2020's wide-open MotoGP season continued over the weekend in San Marino, with Maverick Vinales becoming the sixth different winner from seven races. Vinales was the beneficiary of long-time race leader Francesco Bagnaia crashing out of the Emola Ramona Grand Prix, Vinales finishing first and moving into third place overall. He was joined on the podium by Juan Mur and Paul Espargaro, the later promoted after Fabio Quattarero was penalised a place for exceeding track limits. With this result, a fantastic display from Maverick Vinales. He's going to be another new race winner. It's been an incredible 27 laps here. Pure drama, pure theatre in MotoGP once again here in Mazzano. The checkered flag is out. The Kremlins are gone. Mack is back again. He wins here in Mazzano. Mir takes second. Fabio goes across the line in third, but he'll take a three-second penalty, which means that Thomas Bargaro will inherit the podium finish. What does that mean for the championship? Well, I can tell you what it means. Andrea De Vizioso now holds a slender one-point leader, top the MotoGP rider's standings, but remains unhappy with the grip on his Ducati rear tyre.
Divisioso finished eighth in Sunday's second San Marino race, the extra grip preventing him from braking as he normally would. He explained that he was frustrated by the ongoing inability to find a solution. Fabian Quadrero and Maverick Vinales tied for second now on 63. Murr in fourth on 80 points. Jack Miller has dropped down the standings and is equal fifth on 64 points. Dale Rogers has provided us with a review of the Le Mans 24-hour race and a preview to this weekend's F1 race in Russia. G'day, Dale. Thank you, Tony. We've had one of the uh, three Blue Ribbon races in World Motorsport conducted on the weekend. Obviously, Indianapolis just recently, Indy 500. Monaco didn't get off the ground this year. But Le Mans 24 hours run in September in uh, the Lasarth circuit at Le Mans. And it was a farewell victory for the Toyota Gazoo Racing uh, machine, the Toyota TS050 hybrid. Uh, the last time we'll see this car at Le Mans as the rules change to the hyper car in 2021. Um, but it wasn't an easy victory. Uh, Rebellion Racing in their uh, Rebellion R3 Gibsons were out to say farewell as well to Le Mans as they are retiring from the category altogether. And their two cars took on the Toyotas. They weren't going to hang around for a podium position. They were going to go for an outright win. And they pushed the Toyotas hard. Uh, so much that uh, at one point uh, the t- number seven car... Uh, was in the pits only 40 minutes with the turbo and Rebellion was sitting second and third and really not that far away from the victory. But the number eight Toyota uh, with Brennan Hartley, Nakajima and Bohemi aboard really dominated the race. It was five laps ahead of the number one Rebellion at the end of the race. Um, the number seven car... Uh, did claw its way back into third place, albeit in a fascinating last hour, which we'll talk a bit more about in detail. But um, the Rebellions were a second and third. The Toyota, uh, the number seven Toyota, was was clearly a lap uh, behind uh, the Rebellion, number three Rebellion, and it looked as though that's how it would finish. Um, but with an hour to go, uh, it all came unstuck for a number of competitors, including the Rebellion, who was offered Indianapolis with front and. Uh, uh, rear wing and front clip damage uh, and uh, a 30 second penalty to boot. Uh, so really interesting in, in LMP1 but LMP2, wow, wasn't that just an extraordinary battle. United Auto Sports, Zach Brown's team uh, really come up as the, as the standout team in this category and they battled long and hard into the hours, right through the night. The 32 car with mainly Paul Dresser on board, the 33 car with uh, the 22 car, I should say, with Paul Dresser on board and the 33 car with um, Alex Brundle, Martin Brundleson on board, battled it out as though they weren't teammates. They were absolutely all over each other. In the end, though, it was the, 32, the 22 car with um, Dresser aboard that claimed victory in LMP2 and gave United Autosports the championship as well. Uh, but a fascinating battle in LMP2. Um, we saw the lead under pressure, a number of cars... Uh, really close to each other right through the race and some stunning racing, um, including that of Australian James Allen, who was uh, well and truly in the mix in the, uh, the Groff Racing uh, Oreca, who was also in this last hour of, uh, uh, of mayhem when he uh, beached the car or actually hit the ga- hit the- and was not classified. So really disappointing for Allen, who did a great job. Uh, the Jota car, number 38, was second. Alex Davidson doing a lot of the driving. So at one stage we had Dresta. Uh, in the United Auto Sports 22 racing Alex da- uh, Anthony Davidson in the 20- in 38 Jota car. Uh, it was a battle of Sky Sports there for a while, so really fascinating racing there. But the LMP2 cars really turned it on. Fabulous racing. And in the uh, GT, LMP, LMGTE Pro and LMGTM, it was all Aston Martin. Um, 
the factory cars first and third in Pro, and the customer car first in the GTM uh, section. But the story of the GTs was what happened to Porsche. Um, very quick in practice, very quick in qualifying. They were absolutely outclassed in the race categorically. They were nowhere in the race, and they were struggling around, uh, really, at the back of the field, and finished uh, some uh, 13 laps down on the uh, Victorian, uh, victorious, victorious, I should say, Aston Martin. Uh, really interesting uh, uh, story with the Porsche. Clutch troubles are what we, we, we hear, but also the cars simply are not on the pace, and it looked as though the Aston Martin and the AF course Ferrari may well have been sandbagging a little bit in practice just to ensure that they didn't cop uh, a balance of performance adjustment as they did last year. Um, the highlight of uh, the GTM for us, of course, was uh, Matt Campbell's charge at the end of the race. Uh, a safety car really changed the fortunes of the uh, place getters in, in GTM, and uh, it brought together um, the Dempsey Proton, Proton Racing Porsche of Campbell, uh, the AF Course Ferrari, and uh, one of the other Porsches. Um, the Team Project 1 Porsche as well, into a, into a titanic battle in the last hour. So uh, a little bit like Bathurst, Tony, uh, you know, 23 hours in and it all went crazy in the last hour. But a stunning race. Uh, uh, once again, uh, it, it looked a bit weird with no people there, but the racing throughout the night, etc., was just fantastic. Just a little bit of trivia for you, Tony. Um, the distance covered was 5,272 kilometres. Now, that would take you from Melbourne to Jakarta in one day by car. Um, if you want it for our friends listening through the RS network in the UK and around the world, and that would also just get you from London to Dubai. So extraordinary uh, coverage of distance in this race. But it wasn't the race record. 387 laps covered by the uh, number 8 Toyota. In 2010, one of the Audis actually covered 397 laps, an extra 10 laps. But all in all, fantastic race. And uh, Le Mans just one of, one, of the, one of the true classics on the calendar. Now, looking forward to uh, Formula One, Tony, and uh, we go after the madness of Mugello, we go to uh, the rather staid Sochi circuit. Um, this has not been a great circuit. Eighth time the Formula One cars have visited there, uh, it's been a Mercedes hunting ground, uh, having they, the Mercedes have won every race. It's a track where Valtteri Bottas seems to be able to qualify well, race well, and then get either outmanoeuvred or outclassed by his teammate, Lewis Hamilton, and my money would be on that will probably happen again this weekend. Um, it's an interesting track only for turn, uh, what is effectively turn two, although it really is turn one, there's a kink in the straight. It's all about the first lap. Uh, you get a massive toe down to that corner, to right-hand uh, 90-degree corner. Uh, there's always accidents there. But if you get a toe off the second or third row of the grid, you can fly past the cars in front of you with no DRS. And it's, it's there that, that both Ferrari and Mercedes in recent years have uh, really had some interesting battles where team orders have been thrown well and truly out the window. It's also a corner to keep a very close eye on Roman Grosjean because almost certainly he will arrive either backwards, upside down or bang into somebody. So uh, that's probably the highlight of the race for mine. It certainly has, has really not delivered great racing but it, it is, it is a, a must-win for Bottas, really, for, uh, to keep any, any championship hopes alive. And uh, I guess the other uh, uh, thing to watch for, Tony, will be whether the Ferraris can get any speed. But obviously the battle between Red Bull um, and Mercedes 
also Renault and uh, and McLaren. So, and of course the Racing Point. So let's hope it's a good race. It hasn't been in the past, but after Mugello, uh, we might be coming off a bit of a high. So Tony, that's it for the World Wrap. Um, back to you in the studio. See you next week. Thank you, Dale. All right, joining me as always to have a chat, Richard Crowell from the Racetalk.com. Hello, Crowley. Shabekster, how are you? Excellent, thank you, mate. How are you after your first weekend at a racetrack oh, mate, uh, or a supercar racetrack for a long time? I saw some car racing live, like in person. The sights and the sounds and the smell, it was bloody terrific. I'm not going to lie with you. And uh, I think we were blessed because we got a tremendous couple of races. The Saturday race, I think last weekend is one of the better supercar races of the last 18 months, if not more. Yeah. Um, Bathurst excluded obviously and then Sunday were compelling for different reasons and we got some varied results and some different names and faces on the podium which we know we love on this show so um, yeah we'll, we'll break it down later on in the program but loved it tremendous weekend and you forget how cool these things are live having not seen them since the Grand Prix so yeah, you do. good stuff and I'm looking forward to launching into our first guest Shebex because he had a terrific weekend yeah he certainly did Crowley. he got his second podium of the year which is fantastic in the Ned Mustang, of course, racing for Kelly Racing. Andre Heimgartner joins us. G'day, Andre. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks. Thanks for having me on the show. Oh, thanks for coming on board, mate. Uh, congratulations. Another great weekend and, and a really solid weekend for you too, which is uh, even more special than just the one podium. But to get consistent results over an entire weekend is very nice. Yeah, exactly. It's sort of something that I guess um, everyone wants. We came out second overall for the weekend and, you know, everyone has their stories of shoulda, coulda, woulda, but we, you know, if things would have lined up in different ways, we should have been on the podium in every single race and we would have had a good chance in that last one to be high up in the podium as well. Our car was extremely fast, but um, unfortunately it wasn't meant to be when I was turning the wrong way um, in the second to last turn. But yeah, very happy. It's really hard to string a whole weekend together. It's easy, or not easy, but easier, I guess, to have a one-off, um, you know, race result here or there or, or whatever. So to have a whole weekend of strong um, results has been really uplifting for the team and especially myself. Especially coming off the back of Townsville, mate, which was a, a bit of a shocker for both Kelly Racing cars. You look like you had pretty good car speed up in the top end in Darwin. I know, I know some of the results didn't go your way, but solid speed up there. But Townsville, man, that was character building, I would imagine. Yeah, the last those four weeks were definitely very hard. Obviously, you're, you're flat out racing and to not get any results throughout that time was actually quite difficult for everyone to sort of deal with. So we, um, yeah, we really, the boys dug in um, in between the two rounds and we, you know, completely went over the cars and, you know, we weren't 100% sure if anything was wrong or whatever, but they managed to put everything back together, make it all nice and shiny again and um yeah we went back to a happy hunting ground i guess you could say for us and um yeah and and we managed to go well so you had great car speed at sydney motorsport park andre but you were really fast at the pre-season test as well when you guys had just rolled these cars out smashed them together before the start of the season that story has been well documented what is it about the fast and flowing tracks that suits the KR cars and what do you need to work on, on the more stop go stuff clearly that isn't quite there yet? Yeah. Well, I think if I knew that I'd be earning a lot <laughs> than I do. So um, not a hundred percent sure. Really. It's a bit of a confusing um, answer or, you know, we don't really know. And I don't think anyone really knows to a certain extent, but I think we think it has a large amount to do with um, the way our cars configured at the moment. Unfortunately, 
with the engine development that we've had. Um, obviously, Todd's done an exceptional job, but we've been away from the workshops. So our development from then on has been quite limited. And, and one of the aspects of that, for example, was the weight of the engine. So that, that means that our front arms in the car need to be further forward, which means our wheelbase is longer and, and all sorts of stuff like that. Um, which makes it hard to put the tyres on and off. But I think that also would, would affect it at a, sh a short, sharp circuit with curbs and fast change of direction and stuff. Our car's just not reactive enough. Um, and that also affects the aero balance and it has a flow-on effect throughout the car. So, you, you know, you could put your finger and, um, you know, blame a few different things, but um, we don't really know for sure what it was. But um, we're definitely happy that it, it seemed to uh, come together last weekend. Just going back to that Darwin-Townsville uh, month, Andre, especially just pre-Darwin, uh, take us through the anguish that was going through the team heading up to Darwin from Sydney Motorsport Park and the possibility that you may not even have cars to race with the changes that needed to be made at the time. Yeah, it was a fairly interesting time. We just came off obviously being on pole and, and coming second, so that was pretty cool. Um, but then, yeah, having to go to Darwin, it was really interesting because... One minute we're going, then we're not, then we pack our bags and then we're heading to the airport and then, oh no, sorry, you know, you have to go back to your hotel now and we're leaving tomorrow and then, you know, they're like, okay, we'll head to the airport and we'll tell you when you get there, we're going or not. And then we went there and then they um, obviously told us when we're on the plane that we'd have to go into quarantine for unlimited not like days like we didn't know how many days. So it was all very um, surreal. I could only, uh, you know, I can only understand half of what people that have to go into quarantine and do all that sort of stuff is. It's a very tough thing. We had to do a few days of it. Um, and I could just say staying in a room uh, or being forced to stay in a room was <laughs> definitely not the most you know, positive and um, uplifting thing I've had to do. So, yeah, there's all sorts of battles like that. Obviously, being away from your family, we've been away nearly 80 days now. Um, so, it's um, yeah, there's a whole lot of aspects to it. Um, and yeah, when I guess when you're going well on the racetrack, it, it helps make everything worthwhile, um, all the sacrifices and stuff you're doing. And the changes that needed to be made to the engine pre-Darwin, Andre, was that a, a major issue for you guys? Um, yes and no. I, like there's no change um, directly with any issues we had with the engines. They were quite reliable. Um, luckily, the guys back in Melbourne managed to do some tweaks on some butterflies and stuff. And, um, Todd and then managed to do some good upgrades while we're on the road but it's just the thing of you know you normally get two weeks you go back to your workshop or two or three weeks in some cases and yeah you, you know we have all the facilities all the CNC machines we have our engineers there at, at their computers we have everyone you know thinking about the right things in the right environment to try and develop the cars and move forward and um, you know when you just don't have that environment and you're working out of for example, the, the family farm that we're in in New South Wales for a period there, it's not quite obviously the same environment that some of the Queensland teams have had. So it affects how you go racing, how you develop your cars. And yeah, as, as I said, with our new engines, we would have liked to put more effort, I guess, into that. But um, in saying that, it hasn't been um, you know a disaster that we didn't do that um, because they did such a good job developing them to start with. Mate, just despite the dramas, you're less than 100 points out of the top 10 in the championship. So it strikes me that there's really something to strive for over not just this next weekend at the Bend, but the big one at Mount Panorama and a couple of really good results. And you could find yourself in the 10, which I would have thought, given everything that the team's been through that you just documented and 
let alone the program in, in throwing the Mustang deal together at the start of the year. I mean, that would be an outstanding result for 2020. Yeah, well, it's funny you say that because we're actually in the 10 all the way up until that four-week block and yeah. we're looking forward to moving, you know, hopefully forward and we went tremendously backwards. <laughs> <laughs> it sort of had the very opposite effect to what we wanted and we were left pretty devastated. I think our sixth ended up 15th or 16th, me and Rick in the championship. And, um, yeah, so you, you sort of get a bit demoralised by that. But, yeah, for sure now. We really made some good ground last weekend and I think there's no reason we can't go well this weekend and Bathurst because they're similar tracks, really nice, smooth, fast, high aero tracks. So, yeah, definitely the top 10 is the goal. And I think considering what we've had to go through this year, um, that's a really, really good outcome. Well, that was going to be my next point about the big one on the mountain in a couple of weeks' time. Given the pace you you, you guys have got on fast-flowing circuits, there's not many more fast and flowing than Mount Panorama, Andre. So you must be going there going, gee, we should have a pretty decent package when you get to Bathurst. Yeah, hopefully. And traditionally, I go pretty well there. The last yeah. year was, um, was humming around there. Yeah. Listen and hum. So, um, yeah, it was, um, it was very positive for us. And we, we, we sort of obviously didn't get the result we wanted. But going this year, I think I've obviously been announced that Dylan O'Keefe's driving with me. And I think he's a good young talent. I think he's underrated. Um, as far as you know, a driver goes, and I raced him in Career Cup, and he was actually you know, very good. He'd give me a good run for my money sometimes, bet me obviously sometimes, and didn't make any silly mistakes. Was always sort of on the road and, and using his head. So I think that's gonna um, you know be good for me. I think I've done well in the past. Obviously, I had people like Aaron Russell and Bryce and all that sort of stuff. So there's no reason that we can't slot him into our program and um, sort of coach him along. So he, he's a good a good co-driver for me, but yeah, um, definitely not over yet. Very excited for Bathurst. It's always, it's always a sort of a, a season in its own, I guess, the build up to it and the race and everything. So yeah, it's, it's going to be good. Take us through that co-driver process, Andre. You were, I think the last driver to sign a co-driver with, uh, with Dylan. Is there a reason why you couldn't get anyone before that? And is there a reason why it was left for so late? Um, well, no particular reason, I guess. It's not some strategy that we thought would work or something like that. It's more just, you know, we've been flat out. Todd's been enormously busy. Um, you know, he's sleeping at the workshop trying to board the engines and everything, and he drives a lot of these decisions. So, obviously, our attention has been taken elsewhere. And then when this COVID thing hit, we didn't even know if we are going to go back racing. So what's the point going and trying to find a co-driver when, you know, it looked like for a while we wouldn't be going back racing and the team would be shut down and all that sort of stuff and our sponsors were leaving or, you know, whatever whatever situation happens throughout all the teams because you don't know what's happening. So then that got put on the back burner and then when we came back racing, it wasn't even confirmed that we were going to do Bathurst. Um, you know, it only got confirmed a little while ago that we're actually going to do it. So then, then you get serious about, okay, well, um, you know, we we have to try and find someone and we sort of just took that risk and concentrated on other things a bit and um, I think it's worked out well in the end it's not something I think we regret waiting for I think we sort of just waited and played played our time and um, yeah managed to get a good driver. No and Dylan's a solid young guy like you mentioned that I think that year you raced him in Carrera Cup was he was pretty early in his cup car career and, and since then he's built more Porsche experience the season in the TCR cars so and, of course, the season in Super 2 as well with JRM. So he's got some good good miles now. So I reckon that's a pretty good addition. And Dar Wood in the sister car with Rico, that's a, another good get. So, um, yeah, really strong two-car program. Just want to go back to last weekend, mate. The, um, the, the, the first two races of that weekend were intense. Um, just 
walk me through what you were thinking in that first race on Saturday in particular. And there's this freight train of six or seven cars, a couple of them completely out on their feet with no rubber left and some of them blazing through. Um, I mean, what was that like? It was as intense a supercar race as we've seen certainly all season and if not for a few more than that. Yeah, it was very interesting because no one knew what was going to happen. So ideally in a race, a race like that, I guess you want to pit as early as you can because the degradation is so low, but no one expected there to be the blistering that there was. So luckily for us, we just happened to stumble across a setup that looked after the rear tyres nicely. So we didn't have that issue as much as other people. But unfortunately, as you said, some people were leading and then their tyres blew up, then another person was leading and then their tyres blew up. So for me, it was it was very strange. I was coming about seventh. I'm like, okay, this is all right. And then you know, I just kept on moving up the field as people kept like falling off and people battling, getting spun out and all sorts of stuff. So it was definitely an intense race. Um, and I think that the other two were very similar, the, especially the, the second one um, yeah. was the same. We had Chaz obviously leading and then his tyres blowing up and, um, and a few different passes and all sorts of stuff. So, yeah, the racing on the weekend, I felt, obviously I'm a driver and I went well, so I'm always going to lie. <laughs> but I thought the racing myself was actually very good. And, you know, people say, uh, you know, that they should make it, they should make it so you can drive as fast as you can and all, all that sort of stuff. But we are, at the end of the day, in the, in the business of entertainment. And, um, you know, it, it still requires skill from the team and the drivers to make the tyres last. Um, so it's still a skill-based thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it was good. Is there the difference between what you're driving this year and what you had last year? The Mustang at its best, and you probably got it at that point on the weekend that we just had. Compare that to the Nissan at its best. Are they similar cars or are they just miles apart? Well, I, I always explained it is that in the Nissan when I did the lap of the gods that, you know, everything linked together and, you know, we thought that was that. I could be, you know, fourth, third or around that sort of placing. And then obviously we've seen this year when we get the, the Mustang going, we can actually be on pole and, um, you know, be right up the front. And like that on the weekend, our car was genuinely fast, not so much in qualifying trim. We we're still a wee bit off in that, but in race trim, it was extremely fast. But to answer your question, um, uh, we think it's that sort of next step we really needed to unlock to get to that really the front of the, the grid. And on that, we've spoken to you every year for the last few years about a whole lot of range of things and we go back to the dramas that you had back with Lucas Dunbrell Motorsport and how that was affecting you mentally and, and all that sort of stuff. Compared to where you are now, the difference in you as a person, is your confidence just at an absolute sort of sky-high situation at the moment compared to the last five or six years, knowing that you go into a race weekend actually competitive and, and that's probably one of the few times as you said that it's actually happened to you yeah well you, you say that but three weeks ago i qualified 20th so <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I wasn't too confident back then but <laughs> i know what you mean i have the underlying confidence now i guess you could say that i can do it i've done it um you know the only thing i'm missing now is a race win and i'm sure that will that time will come but yeah definitely confidence is a lot more when you haven't done it before and you know you're in an lvm car obviously the the motivation's hard to come by but yeah I've, I've fought hard to get where i am now and um yeah i think i'm sort of proving my worth i guess you could say yeah i thought it was a bit cruel mate that they were rolling out some stats this week after the weekend about number of podiums without a race win 
and where you sit in history with that. I think, mate, you're 25. It's a bit early to be rolling that stat out. I think it's give the bloke a chance to grab a win. It's got to be around the corner, surely. Um, turn your attention to this week. It's a rare thing in supercars that we go to the same venue, but race on fundamentally different tracks. And the West Circuit is very different to the international. Uh, what's your take? How do you think this is going to play out this weekend on a, a very, very different layout to what we saw last weekend? Yeah, well, I actually think it's fairly similar, isn't it? It just cuts out half the track and you've got a big tight hairpin, isn't it? Yeah, it gets, yeah, it gets rid of all of the fast stuff. <laughs> so all the stuff that was causing your tyres grief on the weekend will disappear. Yeah, well, it's going to be interesting, um, of course. It's going to be a very short lap, I think. I, I don't know what the predicted lap time will be, about a minute or around that. So it's going to be, ta- you know, not quite Tasmania times, but very short, very fast. Um, I think that, that um, shortcut that uh, makes up the West Circuit is actually going to be, it's going to be some action there because yeah. it's, it, you're coming off a fast-flowing corner into an extremely tight corner that's wide um, and, and so many different lines you can take into there. Um, you know, people are going to be locking up, you know, banging to each other. I think we're going to see a few bent bonnets on the first lap. So it's going to create um, some good racing, I think, and hopefully some good passing opportunities. It's like Honda at Phillip Island. You come out of turn, uh, turn four down the hill there at Phillip Island and into the big braking zone. It's very, very similar to that. You have to get your car across to the other side of the road coming out of turn five. So, yeah, she's, she's going to be wild. For, for reference, Josh Keane, actually, who I'm not sure if you raced against Josh, but um, spent some time in Super 2. He's got the lap record on the West Circuit at a 110 flat in a footwork Formula 1 car. I'm going to tip 14s or 15s, I would have thought, but uh, maybe, a little bit, maybe a little bit slower. Final, final one for you, mate. Uh, this weekend coming up, and then you've got a couple of weeks heading into Bathurst. First of all, do you know your schedule between the end of this weekend and what happens for you heading up to Bathurst? And then what are you most looking forward to once Bathurst is done and dusted? Yeah, well, as far as the schedule goes, I'm actually staying in Adelaide, so we'll stay here. Um, and I've got a few mates here, and I've set up a, a bit of a training hub, I guess you could say. So I'll be probably staying somewhere near Glen Algen, trying to train and do boxing and Pilates and all that sort of stuff just to prepare myself. And I think Bryce Ford will be joining me as well. Obviously, we have the same trainer, and we get on very well there. So um, that's sort of what we'll be doing. And um, yeah, after it all, um, I've actually planned to go back to New Zealand for, for three months. So um, just to see my family and sort of reset and um, spend a bit of time there. I guess, you know, the world's a crazy place at the moment. So there's nothing like going home and seeing your family. And um, New Zealand's a pretty pleasant place at the moment. There's not many restrictions and, you know, very little threat of, of, of things escalating. So I think it could definitely be worse. Oh, mate, we wish you all the best. Uh, come the end of the season and that break that everyone is going to so much deserve, not just yourself, but everyone who's been involved in supercars over the last four or five months. Congratulations on the year so far. It's, uh, as you said, it's had its ups and downs, but uh, really positive outlook for Kelly Racing and good luck heading into Bathurst, mate. All right, thank you. Hello, Mark. Baxter Crailsey. A tiny amount to talk about. There was a bit going on there, wasn't there? <laughs> you seem to enjoy yourself, Mr. Crail. Oh, you you were absolutely intolerable. It was very hard oh. to be sitting at home listening to you just rabbit on about how great car racing is. I was well, sick you, of it. Sick of it, I was. You wait till next weekend when I'm back on the television. That'll be even better. <laughs> I'll tell you what, you become the first person from the Race Talk crew, mm. on the grid crew, to actually go to three supercar meetings this year. Well, I haven't got to the next one yet, so... Um, no, but you, unless you, you, oh, went you're to, the Grand you went Prix. to Adelaide? You went to the yeah. Grand Prix? 
Yeah, okay. Out the bend. So yep. you've been to three. The majority of us have been to two. Yeah. Zero. And and look, le- <laughs> legally <laughs> I could been zero. Legally I could go to Bathurst as well because they're opening the borders with New uh, South Wales to USA yeah. as well. But I I don't think it's on the cards, unfortunately. Um, no, look, boys, it was. Um, I genuinely felt quite privileged to be there, and I understand the circumstances and and everything. And it it was really really cool. Um, not entirely dissimilar to a, a stock standard round. Some areas were noticeably different. The paddock was fenced off. It's never been fenced off at the bend before. It's always been an open paddock. But with the, the supercars bubble, um, I just used inverted commas there and realized it was a podcast, um, that, that that was a thing and, and everyone was roped off. So it's still no access to the paddock um, for, from a media point of view, especially though I think I saw some punters in there at some point. I, I don't know if that was allowed or not, but either way. Um, but out, out, outside of that, terrific crowd, especially on Sunday, basking in some wonderful spring weather. And just simple stuff like lots of ticket checks, making sure that people are in the area where they're ticketed to be for that contract uh, tracing thing. Um, everyone had like a mobile ticket. So that was texted to you and you log in and, and that's your pass, even those with accreditation. So they didn't scan your hard card. It was that. It's all those little contact tracing things that are in place now. But Aside from that, it was pretty seamless. And, and I thought it was a really well-executed event. Crowd was outstanding, helped by the weather. We'll come to the racing product in a minute. But you wouldn't know that three weeks ago that event didn't exist at all. Um, and I think that's the biggest testament you can give to the Bend crew and also Supercars for the show that they put on. So, no, terrific stuff. Boys, you forget how lucky we are to do what we do. And... Um, how privileged we are to follow the, this sport and, and supercars in particular, when you're standing about halfway down the 24 car field and they roll into place, the green flag goes at the back and then they sit there and crash on the rev limiter ready for the start. And you feel it vibrating up through the handrails on the balustrade and the balcony where I was standing. You miss that after six months away from it. You forget how quite impactful our sport is from a, a visceral nature. So um, that was what I took out of it. It was tremendous. And the, uh, the racing was just a side effect of that. Yeah. yeah. You mentioned the uh, operative word there, crash. <laughs> the old yes. chrome horn got brought out there Didn't with it? all the leading contenders. Good grief. Oh. What was going on? What did they have for breakfast on it? So good, wasn't it? <laughs> so Saturday race boys. I mean, give me your take. I, I I stood out on the balcony of where the media center is near pit entry and, and I watched the whole thing from out there. Didn't want to be watching a telly. I wanted to see it live, soak it all in. You can see a bunch of the racetrack from there. Um, the tension was just awesome. Really, really good. It was one of those races where you could feel it in the air, both from all the punters at the circuit, but from the teams in the garages as well. And the intensity of some of those pit stops above where I was at the lower end of pit lane or standing above Matt Stone racing, even then when they'd roll in and look at their rear tires, as soon as they came off the car, you could see like a visible shrug of their shoulders going, Oh no, we're in a world of pain here. Um, man, the, the, the tension was great. And then it built and built and built to that ten, last 10 laps when you had that amazing freight train of cars running line astern um, for the final. And then they all teed off and crashed into each other. And oh, it was yeah, awesome. Really cool. So the tyre thing, going back to the test day, 
Mm. It was mentioned at the time on the soft tyre, it will blister around there. If you don't have the setup right and treat the tyres right, they will blister. They mm. knew that in yep. February. Yep. It wasn't news. Yep. It was on the cards. I put it in the preview last week. 100%. Someone dumb like me can figure that out. Surely all the well-paid people up and down pit lane should have been able to have a bit of an idea that that was on the cards. Anyway, it happened. It's uh, added to the show and it was, uh, that was really good. You had that stack on the first corner, uh, Wind Cup into McLaughlin. Yeah. I could not believe that happened. I'm mm. half in a daze with it happening in front of me on the TV and I could not believe it. It absolutely happened. It was brilliant. And then McLaughlin came and did the same thing to... Uh, Holdsworth later on in the race. And that was the thing. You had this freight train. And they go, oh, you know, overtaking is impossible because of the error. It's just because it's so line ball to make a move stick. Mm. And if it doesn't stick, if you're not 100% right, you're going to cop a 15-second penalty like those guys did. Yeah. So what, what do you do? Do you absolutely stuff it up the inside, cop the 15-second penalty? You wind up finishing nowhere like they did. Yeah. The I think Andre, Andre was sorry, good before sorry. when he mentioned that in that first race, he was sitting around about seventh and he, he was content with that. He mm. thought that's where he was going to be. And then he said, just cars kept on dropping off all around me. Mm. And that gave him the opportunity, obviously, to get up to fourth. And that was obviously the situation for a lot of them. Yeah, true story. But the, the Wink Up McLaughlin thing didn't surprise me at all. And, and watching it as they come out of turn 15, up the hill there to 16 and down the hill to 17, you could see Scotty was struggling and Jamie had a really big run. I'm not surprised that they came together. That, that It's been brewing and brewing over the last couple of rounds. We've talked about it. We love it. it it's tremendous. The McLaughlin on Holdsworth thing surprised the hell out of me because that mm. didn't strike me as no, a Scotty move. No and, and he didn't need to take that yeah. risk because he would have got Holdsworth Correct. four corners later. He had so much more car speed the way he was plowing through the field. And you could see the car behavior that his was just better. And he would have got there. So I know Scotty wasn't happy with the penalty. I know he thought it was a marginal move. But I'm okay with 15 seconds for that because it just wasn't going to stick. And um, I was surprised that he put himself in that position um, after such a good recovery, dragging his way back into podium contention after a mighty drive, despite the dramas on the opening lap um, towards the, the finish of the opening lap there. So, yeah, that, that was more of a surprise than the Wink Cup Scotty thing for mine. So also in that race, we had uh, Jack LeBrock finish second. He was yeah. on for a win. He had a car that was capable of winning. If he, uh, and if he drove it like an old veteran, he probably would have won it. And a couple of times there, he just got sucked into the wrong. You know, he, the thing with him on the outside is that SBG was on the inside and broke early. Yeah. Gave him no option. He had nowhere to go. Like he mm. wasn't, he didn't mean to do that, but that's what happened. And he wound up finishing second out of all that mess. But still, that was good because there's a lot of doubters after that win at Eastern Creek. You know, at City Motorsport Park, people were saying that, oh, you know, it was a gimme with the tyres. He's really going to go out there and show what he's, if he's capable. He mm. showed that there, that he was capable of boxing with the best of them. So he didn't get the result that he probably could have gotten, probably deserved, but uh, he still did a, a really good job to finish second for the day. I love he was pissed off about it. Yeah, he was. Smoking and chatting to AJ Jonesy after the race going, oh, you know, I'm happy to be second, but I'm really angry I didn't win. That's great. Because hmm. um, it means he's a legitimate shot at doing it. Um, I spoke to Jack for NTI Inside the Series, um, Inside Race Week. You can check that out on the Truck Assist and um, TRT social media channels this week. Um, and yeah, he, he said the same thing. Like Next time around, the elbows go out a bit wider. He, he will fight for that. And that's tremendous. That's all part of the learning for a young driver. Bryce forward on the podium. How good was right. that? What a terrific result for a guy we've been talking up all season long. And also... Fabian with a win and a weekend yes. win. Well, what's going on there? Contract it, time. Did 
was it just a case of Jamie teeing off and then everyone teeing off? If if they need someone to bash Fabian before a race meeting so he goes well, I'll do it. Just put me on the line. I will take cash money and I will give him a character reference every day of the week if it means that it goes out there and wins. Is that what it took? Because he, it sort of came from nowhere. Like he was yeah. the man there in the weekend. He was very, he drove great. Well yeah. done. He deserved it. But uh, where's it been? Where have you been, yeah. bro? Yeah, no, exactly. And I'll tell you what, the other, the other thing too also for that race was the amount of positions that were picked up by the top half a dozen or so cars. Coulthard picked up four positions to finish first. Jack LeBrock picked up five. Bryce Ford picked up 10 spots. Yeah. Heimgartner, six. Waters, six. Rick Kelly, two. And Scott Pye, in seventh, picked up 10 as well. Yeah, just a casual 10 spots for Scotty, who continues to pass more cars than anybody in the championship. But then but if you go to... that's good racing. That's what oh, no, mean. 100% it yeah. is, Shebex. And anyone who goes, oh, you've got to qualify and pole to win a supercar race now is, is kidding themselves because absolutely do not. But you look at the guys in the top five in the championship, all had shockers. So Scotty leading the points 14th, um, Wing Cup 18th, Cam Waters 5th, meh, solid, okay, in the fight. SVG ninth after falling off the cliff at the end there. And Chas Mostert 11th after starting from pole. Didn't WAU yeah. not have race pace in that car? Um, great qualifying form, really pleased for them thing was awful on its tyres in the race and they went backwards and 11th, 11th and 16 in the three races for Chaz does not make a P3 in the championship, which is clearly what they're shooting for, especially with Fabian coming on form, Van Gisbergen in feisty form and Cam Waters going along nicely. Now, you were on this program two episodes ago and said they'll never run this race on this track <laughs> well, again. Yeah. Didn't you stuff that up there, little fella? That was no good because that was some great racing on the weekend, uh, like on that layout. How about the three wide? Yeah. With, with Andre. Move of the year. Move of the year. Um, and, and, no, but, I, but hang on. The aero's stuffed, mate. You can't do this. You can't race like that because the aero's no good. No, but everyone else is out there yeah. rabbiting on about how the aero's stuffed. No, correct. I agree with you on that. No, look, I made, that was a silly call. 100%. Um, I, what, I, what I have been consistent on for two years is that they needed to run the soft tire on that track. The moment they rolled out there in 2018 at the first round, and we'd already come off the back of a Shannon's round with GD3 Cup Challenge, with Porsches on a really sticky Michelin, and we saw the racing product. The moment they rolled out that first round, it was like, no, nah, they've got to be on the soft. They have to be on the soft tire at that track. Just the layout, the nature of that circuit suits a GT-style car with front grip. So... I'll call, I'll, I'll give myself a point for that. I'll take it all off for saying they'll never run that late again because um, I'll be more than happy for them to go back on it. Imagine an enduro on the soft tyre on that. They'll be pit stopping every 15 laps. Um, you'd have to up the tyre allocation by 20. But I, I'm still really, really intrigued for this weekend and we can come to that later on. Um, it, it's about 25 cars wide going into turn six and about two wide on the exit. So she's going to be really interesting down at the hairpin there. Um, on the West Circuit this weekend. So it'll be a completely different style of racing. So Kelly Racing, they were quick at the test day at the start of the year with Andre. They were quick at Sydney Motorsport Park, a similar sort of style circuit. Uh, they had a double podium when we first went here in 2018. So the team obviously know a little bit of the secret sauce around there and they did a really good job. Rico looked pretty quick at, uh, at times as well. So mm. that should bode well for them this weekend. Yeah, it certainly Maybe. should. I hear that Kelly Racing are trying to get Philip Island back onto the calendar <laughs> yes. as well just to give them another fast flowing free circuit that they might do all right at they always went well there in the datsun so um yeah, yeah that, that would be good but as we just talked about with andre heingartner 
Mount Panorama, it, there's no more fast-flowing circuit than that on our calendar. So that's that's going to be really good for those cars. I, just on the tyre thing, it was really interesting. And um, I had a, a great chat with Kevy Fitzsimmons, who was on the show a couple of weeks ago. He's one of the sport's terrific human beings. Um, and he was he was perfectly fine with what happened Saturday and Sunday. And um, it was interesting that everyone noted that the teams, so at the test day, everyone was given a set of softs to test that they had to give back. So it wasn't counted towards their allocation for the year. They couldn't use it as a mark tire in practice in Adelaide or anything like that. Um, the teams that went and did long runs at that test day on the soft tire were all of the teams at the front of race 25 on Saturday. There you go. So testing, testing equals results, even if it's eight yeah. months apart. And then Sunday, uh, two similar races, I suppose, in that the, the, the big guns fired up again. Mm. Except for Jamie. Yeah. Yeah, he had a shocker, didn't he? That, that was really disappointing, not just for Jamie and for Triple Eight, but for the championship. So, uh, I mean, Scott, Scott wins the championship this weekend. I, I'm going to call it now. He's got to find you know it. He's what I hope he does? 80, he's got to pull 85 plus give or take a few points over Jamie in three races. Um, and if he unloads with the kind of form he had in that final race when he was unbeatable, um, he, he'll do it by race two on Sunday. Um, yeah. And it, it's again, we go back boys to that hit or miss triple eight. They're, they're either on and really on or they're, they're nowhere. They're little errors, the pit stop drama that cost him Shane's tire deg in race one on the weekend. It, it's, Really, really strange. And that's what's rolling McLaughlin towards his third straight championship. And there's every chance he could do it this weekend. And I think he'll be pretty keen to do that just to take all the pressure off Bathurst and shoot for a great race win. And on things, Scotty, how good is that IndyCar ride being locked in? That's yeah. a good thing. Thank God that he's finally getting a chance to go yeah. over there. Uh, he's been able to get a hall pass, a leaf pass from the Southern Hemisphere to go race over yes. there. Uh, so that should be really interesting. And He's a homegrown V8 talent. Like, we've had guys go over there and race some one-offs, like a Jason Ryder or a Dave Bernard from V8s, but they've done a, a certain level of the ladder in the open-wheeler stuff over there. But uh, mm. he's got it straight from V8s. It's all he's ever done. And he'll be out there racing IndyCars, which I reckon's rad. And I see uh, Shane Van Gisbergen also doing a bit of rally driving. We mentioned that in the news earlier on over in New Zealand in November, which is great for him. Uh, you know, follows in the footsteps of Dad. He'll race a wheelbarrow though, Shebex, if you give him an opportunity. So, yeah. Um, yeah, but, and good, we heard from Andre before that he's going to go back to NZ and spend three months over there. So I'm sure a lot of the Kiwis um, are looking forward to heading back. By the way, what was it? One, two, three, four yeah. for Kiwis on the weekend. Do we, do we dare talk yeah. about that? I know we, we have some on the grid listeners over there across the ditch. <laughs> Righto. <laughs> sure. Hey. Hey, uh, one that's come up in the news this week is the GRM wildcard there and Nathan Hearn getting knocked back. I flagged it on the social medias the other yeah. week that uh, what's the deal with the super licence? Like we've got this super licence in place. You've got to do a certain number of things to qualify to earn a start and vow supercars and Nathan was nowhere, but they persisted with the entry and it seems like there's going to be a fight now between Gary and Motorsport Australia that I can't really see Gary winning because so there's Nathan no fight just, to have. He rules just he's never he's never driven a V8 supercar before on any level. Like it's it's not going to work. You can't. Pe- people have rolled into supercars like you look at some of these wild cards in recent years, like the Rossi and uh, Hinchcliffe won last year, and obviously Simona Di Silvestro. But they'd raced IndyCars before. They've raced all sorts of things. They've 
participated in F1 testing and all this sort of caper. Like they're mm. very well credentialed drivers who'd have a, at least a test day under their, up their sleeve before they got to Bathurst. But uh, yeah, strange times. I think yeah, Motorsport it, Australia has saved Gary Rogers Motorsport $400,000. Well, yeah, unfortunately, it's $400,000 they want to spend. The interesting thing for mine, and, and, and unless the rules have changed, I, I Googled this earlier on today. So you need 13 points over five years before you get a CAMS super license. So for winning the Kumo series, Super 3, as the Fiend did, it's five points to get into that. Um, so... I'm, I'm Brock Feeney is the, the example that's been cited. So he has been given one. Yep. So he can make his start alongside James Courtney. So I'm just, I'm trying to work out where Brock's points have come from, whether they've just gone from an exemption point of view. Okay. The fact you've, you've run that yep. super three car, um, you might not have enough points, but you've showed the capability of doing the job in a supercar at a high level. That's why they've given them the exemption. And he's been racing all year and he's been doing the Super 2 stuff. He's probably yeah. got more race miles than anyone in Australia yeah. outside of the, the main game supercars, guys. So yeah. I, I think you'd let that one slip. Yeah, it, it's it's an interesting thing, isn't it? And I know it's got a lot of critics, but Formula 1 has proved it and the, the system works. It, it's in place for a reason to, yeah. to raise the standard. And Bathurst has changed. It, it's not a race anymore where all comers can rock up in a privateer car and run. That's just the nature of the beast. The event has changed over the years. There are other races at Mount Panorama in which you can do that um, and build yourself up to getting a start in the great race. So um, yeah, I I think I I don't know where I stand on this, but I'm, I'm of the opinion that if the rules there, you should probably abide by it. And I I don't mind it being enforced. Um, And there are plenty of other young drivers that Gary could give an opportunity to, to jump in alongside Tyler Everingham to run that car and be competitive. So give Nathan a year, pop back next year. Brilliant. Um, there are plenty of other young blokes or girls out there that could, um, could do the job that, that would qualify. Jaden Ojeda, like yeah, give, give the juice a shot for, for a starter. That would be the first one off the top of my hit list. Mm. Yep. Yeah, no, spot on. Uh, next year, guys, and I was thinking about this during the week. I seriously want to see supercars continue down the format line that they've gone with 2020. I don't want to see them go back to a normal calendar and normal racing that we've had before. This has been exciting, compact, really good stuff over the last three months, four months. And I think that supercars could do it really well. They could even extend the season if they wanted to and go back to a couple of tracks and have back-to-back weekends as they've done here. But just really be open-minded at the end of this year about how 2021 is going to look. I'm not sure the back to, I, I agree with you the, the back to back thing is a challenge because there's more of a cost involved in that week in between and accommodation and all the bits and pieces. So that that's probably not feasible, but certainly from a format point of view, I reckon they've absolutely the thing with that crazy though is hopefully we're, we're opened up a bit more than what we are there and guys yeah, could go it, home on the Sunday night and come back on the Thursday. Yeah, you can, but then you're traveling someone twice in two weeks for no real reason. I, the back-to-back thing is force majeure. That it was done because they had to do it to yeah, get no, the races in that. this year. So part of what Supercar's DNA is and what they've been very, very focused on is making sure they're a national championship. So Tasmania, WA have to come back on the calendar for them. Of course, the Victorian events are hugely important. So I, I don't think the doubleheader thing will happen. This has proved that it does work and it's been really good, but... Um, 
at the three events so far that there's been a double header. The second week crowd hasn't been as strong. It's hard to get punters yeah. back. And there's a support category question back in normal times um, to get supports for the second week. So there are a bunch of issues around that. What I think has worked is the format. The two day thing is great. You don't need bulk practice. We proved that time and time again yep. this year. Um, ditch the rubbish qualifying session. We've got the only floor I think has been that two stage elimination into a top 15 shootout. We've proved with Townsville that that, that doesn't need to be a thing. Get rid of that. But the three race thing for mine works. How good's that? Punters at the track get three race starts instead of two. The races are an hour each. It hasn't hurt the TV ratings at all this year in terms of like for like against all the other sports. Um, short, sharp, action-packed races. The, the word fuel drop hasn't appeared in the lexicon all season, which is just great. So we don't need to worry about that rubbish. Save the refueling for the endurance races later in the year. Events like Tail and Bend, Darwin, that that's the format and the two day thing. Great. Yeah. I did I did not miss a Friday of meaningless practice last weekend, and I will not miss it this weekend either. Absolutely, so it just it ticks a lot of boxes for what they've done this year. So obviously, we're going to have supports back next year. Would you have the Friday as qualifying practice and all that for well, supports on the Friday? Yeah, and you could do that. On the Saturday and Sunday. You could do that, Shebex, um, to keep your number of support categories up because there's a financial component involved in having a support category at your event. So if you're a promoter like the Bend on the weekend, the more supports you can get to fit your track time is more bottom line. And there's a story on that on the racetalk.com that we wrote uh, last year, I think, from memory, detailing those costs. So, yeah, you could run Friday for the support categories. Supercars guys don't need to be there. Yeah. Run them for the support categories, do all their practice and qualifying, get it out the way so they can just launch into racing Saturday and Sunday, finish them by midday Sunday and end with a, with your supercar race on Sunday afternoon for your TV. Great. And on Channel 7, that's what everyone's saying. Well, yeah, yeah it is. And the numbers there too are quite interesting uh, in regards to the contract deal, $8 million less than the last contract with Ten and Fox. So that's not a bad result. No, I think that's a very good deal. Shebex, the, the, the number I've heard bandied around is somewhere in the mid-190s over yeah. the five years, down from 241 for the for the last deal. Sorry, um, eight, million, 8 million a year is what yeah, I meant. Yeah, so, yeah. Times, Which is not a bad five. result. Yeah, no, great. But was the last contract six years? No, five. It was five. It was five? Okay. Oh, uh, was it? No, 20... Oh, six. Four, it was done in 14. Oh yeah! Oh no, we've done in no, done in fourteen for fifteen. Started fifteen, 15. Yeah. yeah, yeah, five years. So, so either way, in these current times, it is yeah six. Either way, it's a good deal, I think, for supercars and um, the Fin Review. Run it. How good are we with maths, eh? No, I'm just trying to work We're, it out. I haven't got enough fingers. For those of you, this is a audio podcast. Um, there are three supposedly semi-intelligent people trying to count on their fingers. Um, here for that last couple of minutes. Anyway, um, the Fin Review reporting this week that it'll likely be on 7 Mate and 7 Plus, the streaming service, which ticks all the boxes again. Yep. Um, you'll get the inevitable few punters that will bitch and moan about the fact it's on Mate and not the primary channel. Bugger it them. doesn't matter. Everybody can get 7 Mate. It's just not a factor. And, and people have figured it out now. Like yeah. Back in 2012, people hadn't quite correct, figured correct. out that you could keep Never dialing down the, down the spider there. Yeah, and you know what? Seven mates HD, even yeah, better. It is. Yeah, exactly right. Fantastic. The, the normal seven station isn't, so you got better quality, folks. Yeah. So, so there's a real chance that you'll get, you know, the six marquee events is what they're talking about on free to air. Um, 
potential of some other races throughout the year, maybe the Saturday races or a Sunday race on mate, but then you'll get six or seven ARG events on mate throughout the course of the year as well. So TCR, S5000, TCM. I, I would put money on the fact there'll be some crossover between the two of them. Now they're all on the same network, which was always a sticking point. So I think it's tremendous. And, and if they get this deal over the line, this is a huge legacy for Sean Seymour and his team to, to leave after a really challenging time. If, if, if that's the deal, what a massive outcome given what's going on. We've seen what's going on with cricket, footy mm. and rugby have taken an enormous haircut this year and for their next period of their rights. So yeah. um, it's actually a pretty good outcome for our sport. The other one that we've sort of broken here in the race talk, a hundred, Touring Car Championship slash Supercar races in South Australia coming up this Sunday morning. Yeah. Pretty good stats. And good stats. You go back over the years, there's been some rad races in that 100. They've split between Malala, Adelaide International, Adelaide Parklands near the bend, and there's been some really good memories from all of them. I was counting. I reckon I've been to 40, maybe, between Malala in the 90s. So the, the last four at Malala in the 90s I was at. And then... I've been to all bar one Adelaide 500. So um, yeah, actually this, it could be more than that. So Gary O'Brien's been to 98. No, well, yeah. Well, the only ones, <laughs> the only ones last week and this week. Yeah, yeah correct. So uh, poor, poor bugger. G'day to guys in Sydney, but um, yeah, it's cool. The history is fantastic, isn't it? Um, AIR is a forgotten component, Adelaide International of the South Australian touring car heritage, but gee, there were some good races there. And, and Mark, to- you, you picked it out. The three wide rolling start. Crazy. Absolutely yeah. insane. Bob Jane was off his rocker. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like Indianapolis in a touring car race at AOR. Yeah. But you go back to the early 70s, you had uh, Moffat's off-track dramas. You yeah. know, one car got stolen. Car got stolen from the paddock on Saturday night mm. and it got, got found later and old mate went to jail. But then two years later, his transporter caught fire going through the Adelaide Hills. Yep. Insane. And yep. he still won the weekend in a borrowed car. Yep. I don't want to, I'm the biggest promoter for South Australia, as you know, but uh, stolen cars. Don't leave your car unlocked. (laughs) Don't leave your car unlocked in the Northern suburbs. There's there's a hot tip. You've had a car stolen in South Australia, haven't you? (laughs) If it was in the Northern suburbs. You haven't lived if you haven't. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't that far from AIR. (laughs) That's my six degrees of separation with Alan Moffat. Was nice. too. <laughs> hey, uh, just before we head off, guys, I'll just get your... We heard Dale's report earlier on in regards to uh, the Le Mans 24-hour race. Your wrap-up on that, boys? Uh, to be honest, Shebex, I didn't see a huge amount of it because I was, I was had a bit on with the supercars out the weekend but um, and having a, a tremendous weekend. But, um, yeah, interesting. I, to be honest, I think the biggest story is that Porsche's pulled half their entries for mm-hmm. Nürburgring this weekend because of a bout of COVID going through the team. So... Um, yeah. Clearly, there's been some real dramas. And that involves our own Matt Campbell, who was second in the LMGTEM class, um, who's been parked for the Nürburgring. So whatever the FIA and ACO's protocols were, there's been a slip up somewhere within that group uh, over the course of the weekend, which is a, a bit of concern. But uh, Toyota won again. Um, you'd expect that. The Rebellions did a good job. And my wish of an LMP2 car winning didn't happen. So um, that's where we're at. Uh, my big thing this week, uh, I'm obviously a big NASCAR fan, is the yeah. news about the new team formed. Bubba Wallace driving, Denny yeah. Hamlin, minority dri- uh, minority partner, and the major partner owner of the team will be Michael Jordan. His, his anus. Wow. What a combo. That? that is a great combo. Like, 
Bubba's bringing about $20 million worth of sponsorship just because of all the, mm. the circus that's been going around with Bubba this year. He's picked up a lot of backers from a lot of different corners. He's bringing that money with him. Then you're going to have Michael Jordan, who you're going to be able to wheel into a boardroom. Yes. It's like, hey, we want some money. Uh, yeah, here you go, Mr. C- Jordan. Certainly, awareness. No problems. Absolutely. <laughs> like, even if he just walks into Nike and go, come on, I'll just have a couple of zeros to put on an ass. Yeah, whatever, mate. Just, yeah. just take it. Who cares? Yeah. Unbelievable. That's a really good thing for the sport over there. So I uh, want to see how that happens. It'll be a well-funded thing. It'll wind up being, I imagine, like the old uh, furniture row racing, like a, a customer Joe Gibbs operation with all the good kits. So I uh, expect Bubba to do good things. It'll be a, a thing that's worth watching and he should be able to win races in it. Yeah, that's a mega story, isn't it? What a what a great bit of news. Fantastic. Uh, Michael Jordan, just it's hard to believe that he's involved, isn't it? I mean, but what what would be the Shebex, you're the broad sports guy. What would be the Aussie equivalent here? Like Steve War? Oh, no. <laughs> uh probably uh, probably a Greg Norman. Oh, yeah, that's fair. As as an international international superstar. No one... yeah, yeah, okay. But like with Michael Jordan, he's been a race fan all his life. This yeah, isn't just yeah. something, you know, he used to ride his push bike to NASCAR shops and watch them work on their race cars and stuff midweek. Like, well, he's a Carolinas boy. Yeah. So yeah, in the heart of the heart of NASCAR. And he's, he's raced motorcycles and all sorts. So he's a rev head and he loves it. And he's been friends with Denny Hamlin for a long time now. Mm. And, and Denny's been managed by Michael Jordan's agency. So uh, there's a lot of tie-ins there and it all works out. All right, boys. Um, well done. Not, yeah, sorry, yeah, B- biggest potential for a major drama in 2021 um nashville indycar race running over a bridge two ways mm. um is this wow. where we see uh, an indycar in the drink or <laughs> oh, i don't wow. want to wish it on them don't get me wrong the track looks <laughs> epic like it's going to be amazing for racing it's I, brilliant. I, love I it. don't know if they've looked through this at oh, all I love you, it. You google street view and uh <laughs> once you get to the other side of the bridge you got to do a tight u-turn around the ghetto of nashville yeah, like there's people there's concerns that parts of race cars are just going to get go missing go driving through that part of town uh that, maybe we could send them out of moffat to talk to him about yeah, what happens in totally that case <laughs> <laughs> no i love it it's great it, look tony Cotman, who designed the track he's very very well regarded so um I'm keen to see it. I think that'll be exciting. We'll be able to watch it because our boy Scotty will hopefully be in that race next year, which is going to be tremendous. Yeah, it so, certainly will be. Boys, catch you next week. Thanks for your time again this week. Hey, boys, I'm going to a racetrack again for more supercars. Let's mute him, mute him. See you, <laughs> yeah, he's done. See you boys. All right, see you guys. And thank you for joining us too right here on The Grid. This program is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.